So we'll grab your Bibles uh, and let's go to Matthew chapter 16. It's a place we've been uh, in the last couple of weeks, but I want to point some other things out today. What we've done so far, we've done, we're kind of doing this mini series on the church. This comes out of a place of kind of pastoral concern of your elders and pastors that like, man, we, we, part of our, our problem is that we don't understand what the, what the church is. And when we understand what the church is and what God's trying to accomplish, we understand how important this is. I mean like this physical gathering is to our spiritual lives. We need each other. I need you, you need me, you need each other. And, and God calls us into this kind of environment. But we could stop at week two last week and we'd say, okay, here's what the church is. You're all come back, great, and mission accomplished. But it's not mission accomplished. Because when Jesus makes this promise of I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, I think we have to ask ourselves, what's he, what's he driving toward, right? It's not so we'd all gather and become an insulated country club. This is pushing us outward towards something. And I want to explore that with us this morning and sort of just figure out what's the point of all this? Like, why do we gather? What are we trying to accomplish here? And there's lots of things we could say, but I want to narrow us in on one of those today, right? By looking at the promises of Jesus, okay? And we run into the first one here in Matthew chapter 16, and I want to look at that with you, but I want you to notice, first of all, that the church, this thing we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, is birthed out of a promise from Jesus, okay? So if you start reading with me, you look at, he's talking to Peter, he's talking to his disciples. Peter's just said, man, you're the Christ, the son of God. And he says, you know, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And then in verse 18, he says, and I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now notice, skip down to verse 20, after he sort of unpacked that a little bit, he says, then he strictly charged the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. He does this a few times in scripture, and it's kind of puzzling. But let's go back and just think about the picture that Jesus just painted for his disciples. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So think about what Jesus is, the implication, the imagery there is one of the church is on offense, hell is playing the defense, right? The gates of hell. It's the the gates of hell under siege. It's the church storming the city that is occupied by the enemy. So what's he doing? He's sort of, you know, giving us the image. If you've seen or you've been to medieval, you know, uh, cities and places, you know they have walls around them. That's the idea. There would be a big gate, and in order to get through the gate, you've got to bash it down, that kind of thing. And this is what Jesus is saying. The church is like that. The church is going on the offensive to crash the gates of hell, to move into that enemy-occupied territory where where the devil and hell is is the authority over, over all of humanity, we might say, and the church marches in and begins establishing, like we talked about a few weeks ago, he begins establishing these embassies that pop up all over right? That's what the church is after. And this comes with Jesus's personal guarantee. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, I have to wonder, when the disciples, for we don't get their reaction, but they have to be thinking at this point, this is awesome. 
Like, I cannot believe it. Jesus is the conquering warrior. He's just told us that he, we're going to go out and, he, and the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against this thing that he's building. So go get him, Jesus. We'll take up our swords with you. You will vanquish the enemy. You know, Satan defeated. Jesus wins. Uh, game over, war over, right? I mean, you're Jesus. We've seen you do some remarkable things and we have absolute confidence that you're going to do this. So they got to be excited. But then Jesus keeps talking. After verse, uh, verse 18, uh, verse 20, he, he keeps talking. And look at verse 21 in chapter 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter takes him aside, begins rebuking him and saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus just flipped the script on him. Like so much so that Peter's like, oh, wait, what? Like you just said, you just got finished telling us that you're going, the gates of hell will not prevail against this thing. And now you're telling us you're going to be murdered. You're going to be crucified. You're going to suffer and die. Jesus, you, you must have misspoke. And Jesus says, no, I, I didn't misspeak at all, Peter. You have it all wrong. That you think the way to my conquering is, is sort of man's way. You've set your mind on things on earth. I'm telling you, I've come to flip this whole thing on its ear. The way to gain your life is to lose it. You want to lose your life and you gain it in this life. We take up our cross, we fall. It's not going to be easy, but this is the way of Jesus. And we, he's pursuing a radically different agenda. And the disciples have got to be utterly nonplussed at this point, flummoxed. We don't know what to do with this. But the, but, the, but the church is birthed out of this incredible promise from Jesus. But now, fast forward. Let's, let's, let's take your Bibles and turn over several pages to Matthew 28. And here's what I want you to see. It, just, it wasn't just birthed out of this. It's being built by a promise from Jesus. So if you go to Matthew 28... You see in verse 18, very familiar passage. We've looked at this dozens of times in the life of Foothill Church. Jesus comes and says to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you to, uh, always to the end of the age. So, so, so what's happened between don't tell anybody and chapter 16 and chapter 28? Well, now they know the whole story, right? I mean, there's a reason that Jesus said early on, stay quiet, don't go tell people. It's because the disciples like us, if that's the kind of, we saw this miracle worker among us, the temptation was to go come and see this guy. Like he does all these miracles and man, life is gonna be awesome. This is gonna be great. And Jesus wants to say, no, guys, until you know the whole story, I don't want you talking. And so by the time we get to chapter 28, they have seen, they've, they've watched him live, they've watched him teach, they've watched him be, suffer and die on a Roman cross, they've watched him rise from the dead, they saw him post-resurrection for 40 days teaching everybody, and now finally, just before he ascends, he gives them their marching orders, he gives them their mission. Now guys, you're ready, go 
and tell because all authority is behind you going out and making more followers of me, more disciples of me. And what's a disciple? A disciple is somebody who has been baptized according to Jesus and who is learning over a lifetime to obey everything he commanded. Does that mean we only have to obey the words in red in your Bible? No, because Jesus, Jesus references every part of your Bible and says it is the authoritative word of God. So it's learning to obey all of Scripture. Now, here's what I want us to think about for a moment. Why does this relate to the church and what we're doing here? How do we learn? How do you and I learn? If you think about this, it's not thank God for teachers and for grade school and junior high and high school and all that, right? And we learn that way. That is one way that we learn, but it's not the primary way. The primary way you learn and I learn is by the people who are in closest proximity to us. I mean, think about this. Your, your kids, whether you like it or not, end up being people that follow you very, very closely. They end up a lot, lot of times voting like you and driving like you, and they get angry with what makes you angry and all those things because that's how we're wired. We're wired not just to learn through teaching and the transfer of information. We're, we, we're, 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 we learn through modeling and watching people. This is why Paul, I, I was always, I remember early on when I was reading my Bible and I didn't really understand, I'd see Paul, Paul saying things like, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And I used to think to myself, how can he say that? Like that seems so like audacious to say, watch me and do what I do. And then I had children. And I realized you don't ever have to say that one time to your child and they just will. Listen to me, Christian, you are being watched. I'm not saying by me. There are people in your life, right? There are children. There are those that you influence. Like they are in your life for a reason. They are imitating you. Paul's going to say in, in Philippians 4, like what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. What, th there it is right there, teaching and modeling. It's both. Now, if that's going to happen, we can't learn from people that we hardly know and barely see. So what's the implication? That's why this is so necessary. The implication is that every single one of us need people in close proximity to us. We need elders. We need leaders. We need, we need other Christians beside us that can model for us what the Christian life looks like. This is why coming together is so necessary. I've been referencing this book in the last couple of weeks called Rediscover Church by Jonathan Lehman and Colin Hansen. And, and here, here, listen to this. They, they, they write this. You don't need the church to be born again. That's a good reminder. Like, you don't, but you need the church's help to walk on your wobbly legs of fledgling faith. That's good, right? We all need this. That's why we're here. That's what we're doing. So the church is birthed out of this promise, and the church is being built by the promise, okay? Go make disciples. Now, how do we respond what should be the response? What were the, we might say, what were the responses of the, of the disciples to these promises of Christ? How did they go on to interpret, we might say it this way, Matthew 16, I will build my church, and Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples. 
What did they do, right? We don't have a conversation where you see the disciples going, okay, now what did he mean? Let's talk about this. How do we unpack this? What should we go do? No, rather what we see is we turn the page into the book of Acts and you start to notice what they did, not so much what they said. And what did they do? Well, let's listen to Ed Stetzer, who's a missiologist. He says this, When the apostles and disciples heard of the Great Commission, we might consider what they did in response. They did not just evangelize, they congregationalized. When the disciples heard the Great Commission, they planted churches, and so must we. This is what they did. So if we wonder, what were they all about? Where did they go? What did they do? They simply planted churches. That's how they went about following the promises of Christ. See, we could just say, hey, Jesus, you made this promise. Uh, You're going to build your church. We're going to mess it up. You go do your thing. No, the problem with that is Matthew 28, that I will build my church. But guys, gals, this is going to come through you. You're going to be my hands and feet. You're going to accomplish this mission. And so this is what they do, right? We, We don't see them going out and starting crusades. We don't see them uh, haphazardly evangelizing, although I'm sure they talk to their neighbors and their families and their friends and their colleagues. What we see them doing is simply planting churches. They don't just hope it will happen. Hope is not a strategy, right? That's not a strategy for building a company. It's not a strategy for going to war. It's not a strategy for evangelizing. It's not a strategy for churches, they said, we're going we're gonna to go and plant churches. So you look at Paul in the book of Acts. Every, everywhere he went, planted a church. He writes letters to those churches. Pick up your New Testament. Read them. He's writing to churches in all those regions. These are churches he's planted. When he writes to Timothy and Titus, he's writing to leaders in those churches saying, here's how you develop this church. It's all about the local church, planting local churches. And this is... This is very urgent, right? Like, like this, is, this is why uh, th- th- this, this, this plan of theirs needs to be our plan. And it's an urgent plan. And I want to explain to you this morning why I think this is so urgent. And I'd say the first one is just a biblical reason. The first one is simply because uh, I, think, I think we're supposed to take this model and run with it. We're supposed to see what they did and go, okay, that must be the means. How arrogant of us in the 21st century to think we have a better plan for reaching our world than the plan they had. They were very strategic. They looked at the landscape and said, we need to have churches in all these places, and so they went about planting more churches. A lot of people will talk about and say, man, man, wouldn't it be great if we could be more like that, that Acts church, those early days? I mean, it just seemed like this great revival and all that. And I'm like, look, I get what you're saying. You want to see signs and wonders and gifts and all these things. But, but look, if we really want to be like the early church, let's plant churches. Because that's what they did. They did it over and over and over again. And so must we. So that's the first reason. I think we see this biblically. That should be the model that we follow. But the second thing I want to just point out to you, I wanna, I'm going to give you a lot of like data here in the next few moments, so just bear with me. Like it's a, there's a staggering amount of data that we could pull from. I'm trying to cull through this so that you sort of hear the urgency of this. Why is it so necessary that we plant churches? And the second reason is because we're going to lose the next generation if we don't. Um. Like, let me just summarize some things. The, the, some of the data, by the way, this data comes 
uh, pre-COVID. This, this, this research I'm telling you is about three years old. Uh, and it's saying this, in the next three decades, we will see the, the largest and fastest numerical shift in religious affiliation in world history. 30 to 35 million young people will walk away from the church in the next 30 years. That's a million people a year for 30 years are going to walk away from the church and never return. This is what the research is saying. Why? It's not because we made them upset. It's not because we took a stand on this or that. It's because they simply saw the church as irrelevant. It has no bearing on my life and my experience. Now, now, who are these 30 to 35 million uh, young people? Uh, if you follow sort of, you know, sociological categories, you know, there's boomers and Gen X and all that. Well, if you want to know the category of these kids, it's, it's Gen Z. In other words, those born between 2000 and 2020. Let me ask you this. How many of you in here have children or grandchildren who were born between 2000 and 2020? Raise your hand. See, this is staggering. Like this means literally uh, almost, what, 99% of the kids that are sitting over in Foothill Kids right now worshiping Jesus and loving it and enjoying all that we have. The, the data is saying that in, within 35 years, a massive swath of those kids will not be walking with Jesus anymore. Walk out on the plaza today. Just ask yourself as you go out and you see kids playing. Like how what a wonderful sight that is and ask yourself, I wonder which one of these kids will become one of those statistics and I wonder what I'm willing to do to make sure that doesn't happen to my kids and to other people's kids. Like what kind of sacrifice will we make to make sure that doesn't happen? See, look, Foothill, um, we are, I've said this before, we are unapologetically pro-life. And I mean that in the traditional sense. Like traditionally what that means is that we believe that life, you know, the, at the moment of conception, that's a life and it deserves the full protection of the law and, 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 that, and, and aborting that is, is, is murder. I believe this, okay? So, so that's the traditional stance. But let me just say, theologically, um, there are some that would say, we don't know what happens to an aborted baby. We're not sure. Are they in heaven? Are they not? We're not sure. I'm in the camp that says, I think I know. I think the Bible preaches, says this, that they will be in heaven. So let me just say, for the sake of argument for right now, there is debate among theologians, you might say, about what happens to a fetus that is aborted. Let me tell you what there's no debate about. That someone who walks away from Jesus and lives their life without reference to him and rejects him spends an eternity in hell. There's no debate about that. And see, we think in the pro-life community what that means is therefore what we should be shooting for is making sure we get the right guy in the White House or gal, we get the right people stacking the Supreme Court, we get the right senators, and all will be well. Do you realize that isn't the answer? That what the data says, what the research says is we don't need those things. We need more churches. We need 
massive doses of more churches in our culture. Um, and you'd say, well, wait a second. Don't we have enough? Like on the way here, I passed 27 churches. Why do we need more churches? Um, uh, don't we have too many already? The answer in a word is no. We don't even have near, not, not, not even close to what we should have. Like, okay, ready? I'm just going to nerd out on some data with you for a moment, okay? Um, there are roughly 4,000, let's round our numbers here, there are 4,000 churches planted every year in America, okay? That seems like, wow. 3,700 churches close their doors every year, which we, means we net, y'all done the math? Smart enough for that? I'm like, ooh, carry the wa. Uh, 300 churches. 300 is not near enough to keep up with population growth, okay? That's the best case scenario. The best case scenario is that only 3,700 churches will close this year. That doesn't account for COVID. I just heard, just having a conversation yesterday with somebody that was telling me that in the last six weeks, three Acts 29 churches just in the West have closed. That, that, that number in the next 10 years is predicted to go up to 5,500 churches per year. Now you, you're doing the math, right? 5,500 churches closing, 4,000 opening. We're now in a 1,500 church deficit per year, not, not a surplus of 300. We are way behind the curve. And so the need, let me just tell you what the need is. The need over, over 30 years is that we would, as the American church, figure out a way to plant 300,000 churches. Now that seems staggering to you, but let me tell you what opportunities that affords us. If we can do that, if the church of Jesus Christ in America can rise up and get past the ridiculousness we're in right now and actually get together and plant churches and individual churches like us can plant more churches, then we are on the cusp of the greatest revival we've ever seen. Listen to this. If we return to retention and evangelism like we saw just 20 years ago, more people will be saved, talking about over the next 30 years, than during both Great Awakenings, the African-American church growth after the Civil War, the Azusa revivals, and Billy Graham outreaches combined. The numbers are just that big. Do you realize this? Like this is staggering. This is an unbelievable thing being set before us. Christian Schwartz, um, maybe, or, or maybe, let's say this. Maybe you'd say, maybe you'd say, uh, Chris, I hear you. Again, past 27 churches on the way here. Why don't we just revitalize those churches that aren't quite making it? To which I'd say, let's do it. This isn't a either or, it's a both and, right? But let me say this. Uh, praise God, like, like what God has done in revitalizing Foothill Church over the last nearly 15 years is an absolute gracious gift from God. But even so, church plants are better at reaching lost people. Do you know this? Than established churches. They just are. 
There's just like, you know, hunger and zeal and we got to do this and desperation and it bears out in the data. Okay, let me go back and I'm going to show you another little geeky statistic here. The SBC, which means Southern Baptist Convention, they're just using them as an example. The SBC church planting class of 2010 reported one new baptism for every 13 members, okay? Now, look what it is across the SBC overall. The average is one in 51. Church plants are, that's, that's, that's like a, that's like, that's like a, a, you know, a, 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 what is that? Four times difference almost. Church plants are especially effective at reaching the unaffiliated in regions where disaffiliation is the highest. In Vermont, the least religious state in the country, 83% of SBC baptisms occurred in church plants. See what I mean? Like this is crazy. So, so bigger is not always better. And Foothill Church, let me just say this. If we do not steward what God has given us and we turn inwardly like we are riding our own death warrant, we are, we are going to become irrelevant and so we have to be saying, how can we look out? How can we push out? And by the way, the need in California is one of the highest needs in uh, all the United States. Let me, again, one more statistic for you. I'm telling you, they're dizzying. And, um, and, but here you go. More church plants are needed almost everywhere. For some regions and locations, however, the need and challenge is much greater. The Northeast has only one church for every 1,200 people, while in the West, us, there is only one church for every 1,350 people. Unless we disproportionately increase church planting in the Northeast and West Coast, however, those numbers will only get worse. 300,000 churches. Does this seem like, what hope do we have? What can we do? What can you do? What part can we play in making that happen? Well, if we're going to plant churches, um, here's what I'd say. The first thing we can do, all of us can do, is pray. Okay, now, I, sometimes I, I feel like I say that, and that feels like a throwaway line. Like, do you, do you, do you understand that when, when the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it? Like it will not happen unless God is breathing on church planting and helping churches. We are, we're undone. And we're gonna be, I mean, listen to Psalm 124. This is here, this is, this is Israel saying this to God. If the Lord had not been on our side, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept over uh, us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over over us would have gone the raging waters. That's the end unless the Lord is on our side. And because he is, he's going to help us. Listen, prayer is, is kind of the stick shift, if you will, that engages the drive. It's, the, it's firing the winning shot. It's, it's, it's what God's people must do if we're going to succeed at this very difficult offensive of storming the gates of hell. So, so Foothill, listen, next Sunday, next Sunday night, right here, we're going to gather and we're going to pray and we're going to pray for each other. We're going to pray for our nation. We're going to pray for this, 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 this COVID thing just gets arrested. God would, have, we could be done with it, but we're going to pray for church planting. We're going to pray that God would go before us. We can and we must pray. If we don't pray, I have no hope. But if we do, I have every hope in the world that the Lord will help us. 
Because he's already backed it by a promise. His personal guarantee that I will build my church, the gates of hell. Now you go, all authority, every ounce of authority in the universe has been given to me. Now I say go. But where else do you get that kind of thing? Where else do we have that kind of backing, that kind of guarantee? You can pray. The second thing you can do is you can go. You can go. Do you know this? Like, so we planted Travis and a group from Foothill Church went and we planted uh, Echo and JD and there was people that went to that. And, 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 and this ought to be an impulse that all of us feel like, man, we have this opportunity to do something here. Like, look, uh, a few years ago, you maybe heard me say it, we, we set a goal of trying to plant, we want to plant 15 churches in 15 years. We don't want to just play our part, okay? We can't plant 300,000 churches. God, will you help us plant 15? And so we've, you know, this, this October is two years since we planted a story and echo. So we got two. And here's what's really exciting. Uh, one year from today, we're going to plant another church. We're going to plant a church out in Ontario Ranch, and it's going to be pastored by our very own Stephen Coppenrath. And so I'm super excited. Guys, come on up here. I've asked Stephen and Katie just to come up. I, I just want them to just talk to you for a moment about what God has laid on their heart. Give us the name of the church. People are always wondering, oh, there you go. It's King's Church. Yeah, it's up there. And, uh, and just talk to us about uh, what, what this is all going to be about. This is really exciting mm -hmm. to me, and I just wanted you to hear it from, from their mouths. Yeah, well, this is all news to us, too. This is the first time we're hearing about this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Can you imagine this is the way we do things around here? Um, <laughs> Man, we're, we're so excited. Um, uh, so Kate and I have been here for about 14 years, and uh, we've had the opportunity to be a part of a lot of conversations about church planning, about, about discipleship, about duplicating ourselves as a, as a body, and it's, it's become clear for all of us over the last five, seven years, whatever that, that timeline has been like, that, that we are meant to plant more churches. And so this conversation that we've kind of been hearing the last few minutes is something that we've been talking about personally in our lives uh, for the last few years as well. And I think over COVID, over quarantine, conversations kind of intensified, and we realized this is a calling for us. This is for the Coppenrass, and there's no reason why we shouldn't consider this. And so uh, we prayed about it, put in front of the elders. We prayed with Chris about it, and it's something that we realized the Lord is really uh, pointing us towards this direction. So um, we, are, we are planning a church in Ontario Ranch, which is in South Ontario. Um, it's just below Ontario Airport. And um, it is an area, if you want to look it up sometime, I encourage you to do so. It's, it's an area that's blowing up in population growth. It's uh, supposed to have thousands of more new residents moving in over the next 10 years. And so it's really an opportunity for a, a gospel-centered, Bible-preaching church to be planted in that area. And so the King's Church will be there, hopefully, God willing, uh, next year, uh, around this time. And uh, we're going to be a... Uh, a community that supports one another, that loves one another, that um, serves our neighbor, and it really points people to King Jesus, and, and that's the, the idea behind that. And so uh, we're excited about that as a church, um, and we're just getting started. So uh, we'll, we'll be here, by the way, for the next year, um, kind of just being around, uh, kind of uh, gathering our launch team, and so there'll be opportunities to kind of say goodbyes as well, but we're really grateful for this opportunity. Yeah. Just to, to echo that, um, I'm grateful for the opportunity today just to say thank you mm. to you guys. Um, we are so 
grateful for each of you and for the leadership of Pastor Chris and Michelle. Um, in a lot of ways, Steve and I have grown up here mm. in the last 14 years. <laughs> we had our kids here. We've mm. raised our kids here. And we love you. Yeah. We love each of you. And so this this call to go, while it's really exciting, is in some ways really bittersweet because, because we, we love this place. Um, but all that to say, like, we are just so grateful for each one of you, the way you've poured into our lives over the last 14 years and your support um, for us to go out and your prayers, like Chris, Pastor Chris just said. Um, we just, we want to thank you and we hope we have many more opportunities over this next year yeah. to say that again and again. Amen. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Thank God for that. Guys, we love you. I am, uh, I'm just super stoked. When Stephen told me that, I was like, you know, I knew it. I knew that would eventually come. And, um, and, you know, Paul sent out Timothy and loved Timothy. And, you know, in some ways, Timothy, please come to me. I don't want to be without you. But, and that's kind of how I feel about Stephen. Stephen is my longest tenured uh, associate on staff here. And yet I can't think of a better reason to lose Stephen than to go and plant a church. And here's why I'd say this. Some of you need to go. Like some of you just literally need to go, you know what? I got a year's head start. I know what's happening, okay? My lease will be up. I can sell my home, whatever, and I'm going with Stephen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna see sort of this beachhead, this embassy established in enemy territory that wouldn't want us to be out there and that the Lord would be glorified in that. And I want you to really consider and think and pray about going. You can talk to Stephen more about that. In fact, uh, by the way, some of you um, are, are on our Footnotes podcast that we do. The new season is coming up, I think, in a couple of weeks. And actually, the very first episode, we'll flip the mic on Stephen, and I'm going to interview him, and you're going to hear a lot more information about that. So I'd encourage you uh, to subscribe to that. But let me just encourage you again. You can go, and some of you need to go. And I want to encourage you, right? Not because I don't love you. Man, I love you. I don't want to lose anybody. Uh, Daniel Kaler and Emily and their family, they're going to go with Stephen. Ellie Alexander is going to go with Stephen. We're sending Stephen with a team because we think that's really necessary for, for this to happen and to happen well. And these are three people, man, I was hoping would be on staff forever, right? But, but the Lord had other plans, and I couldn't be more excited about what he's doing in establishing that. And so I hope that you'll consider that. So you can pray, you can go, and lastly, you can give, you can give toward church planting. Okay, now, you've got this on your seat. I want you to just grab this while I'm talking. And if you open it up, you're going to see some things. First of all, you're going to notice the King's Church is on there. Um, that's, that's sort of headlining us in this center section, along with all the other places we're trying to support around the world. And so if you look above that, our goal this year is to raise a million dollars. We've never, we've, the closest we've come is half this. Like, this is a huge goal. For us to try and raise a million dollars for church planting. And I want to assure you, this is not a million dollars to help us build a better building here in Glendora. It's not a million dollars to help our salaries here. It's, not, it's none of that. This is literally, we're going to be a conduit that passes this million dollars through to all these different church plants around the world. And maybe this seems like, how in the world do we do this, okay? So if you take this, and on the back there's this QR code, or it tells you go to, I'm, I'd just invite you right now, take out your phone. You can actually play with your phone in church right now. 
and, and, and go to this fiddle.church slash send or use the QR code and let it take you there. And, um, and you're going to see, it's gonna, there's a few things on that page, but one of it is just sort of the, what we call our virtual wall. And you're going to see numbers that go anywhere from one all the way up, I believe, to 750 or 850. Is it 850? Eight, eight, eight. Um, and, and you you can pick one of those numbers. And let's say this: if we all, if everybody picked all of those numbers, we'd raise a million dollars. Because what those numbers represent is a dollar figure. You pick five twenty-two. You're saying that by God's grace, between now and December thirty-first, I'll give five hundred twenty-two dollars. What sacrifices can we make? What 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 sort of things can we say? Hey, I can I can this this can work for me because you know I don't have to go to Starbucks every day. I can eat out once less per week. I can do this in order to make this work. But here's, let me challenge some of you. Like we've set this big goal. And so you can give, you can go on the wall and pick a number and go done my job. And that's awesome. And I hope you will. And by the way, notice that everyone can participate. There's one in there for a dollar. I hope nobody takes that. That's for the kids. Um, uh, but it's for the starving college student, right? It's for, it's for everybody, including those of you who would go. And let me, honestly, you would look at that and say, 800 is easy for me. It's not enough. And you know what I'm asking you to do? If you find yourself in that category, you know your finances, I don't. That you would, <laughs> you'd go off the wall, right? You'd, you'd, you'd go, I can do more than what's being asked of me here. Michelle and I, I picked a number and that was just so I could get a number off the wall. And we're going to give uh, close to three times the amount we've ever given. And I don't say that to brag to you. I say that to say, I believe in this. I believe in this like I never have believed in anything uh, more before. That, that the Lord is going to help us and he's going to go before us. And every one of us can play our part. Now, if some of you guys are doing math in your head and you're really good at this, you're like, Chris... 1 to 850 doesn't add up. I think it's 8. Is it 850 or 8? 850. 850. 1 to 850 doesn't add up to a million dollars. I think it adds up to somewhere around $350,000. So you're like, how's this work? <laughs> uh, I told you last week we had some amazing news to share with you. And I wanted to share with you, Stephen. I think that's the most amazing news. But let me tell you why I think God is in this. Why I think the Lord is going before us and why I think he really, really wants to see churches planted, okay? Um, we, we had some donations come in from several donors, and let me show you uh, where we stand today. Give me a little drum roll, okay? Ready for this? Ready? I want you to see this on the screen. Go ahead and let's put that up. Ready? Is that amazing? Hey, can we just stop right now and can you just help me thank the Lord for this? Like just lift up your hands and Father, we thank you, we praise you, you are good, you provide. Father, when we think that we've sort of tapped out and gone, this is the craziest thing we ever do and you say you haven't even come close. And God, we're grateful, we're grateful that God, it seems that you have already gone before us and all this is going to become a reality because of the ways you've laid it on the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. And I pray that you continue to do that, God, as we seek to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, as we seek to plant Stephen and Katie out at the King's, uh, the, the King's Church. God, bless that. Bless it as we go forward. We thank you, Jesus, for your goodness to us. Amen. Amen. Now listen, um, you can pray. You can go, 
you can give. And I hope you will. I hope you see now, like, this is not impossible. If we all do our part, we will not only meet the million dollars, we'll go past the million dollars. And every penny, no matter what we bring in in this campaign, is going to that. Again, it's not like, oh, wait, we got a bonus. Nothing like that, right? This is like, it's going to go to church planting. And I just, you know what I'm convinced of? I'm convinced of this in my own life. I'm convinced of this in the life of the church. If we will just hold our hands open and say, God, put in what you want to put in, take out what you want to take out. I just want to be a conduit to help and do what you've asked me to do. It seems like God never shuts the faucet off. It seems like he just keeps pouring it. This, it seems like God has given us more and more ability to do more and more every year. We started off in year one of this, of this whole send end of the earth campaign we've done in the years past. I think our goal was to raise $150,000. And here we are, and God is going to help us raise a million dollars by his grace. And I'm so excited for that. Listen, Foothill Church, God is helping us. Right? This is not our commission, this is his commission. Right? We're not going to hope it happens, we're going to put feet to it. This is how we've decided we're going to accomplish when God says, go and make disciples, we're going to do that through planting churches. It's his church, it's his agenda. Right? He's doing his work in Glendora, he's doing it in Rancho Cucamonga, he's doing it in Chino, he's going to do it in Ontario Ranch, he's doing it in Edinburgh, in, 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 in Sanger up in Northern California, he, he's doing it in Seattle to Maine, he's doing it in Paris, France, and Belfast, and Dublin, and Lebanon, all of these places and more. And if we will be faithful, if we will step up to the plate, I'm convinced that God has some incredible things in store for us in the area of church planting and supporting people all around the world for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom. Here's what I'm convinced of. When God calls us to these kind of works, he always gives us what we need. And so we started off several months ago sort of going with shaky knees we're going to go for a million dollars. I don't know how this is going to happen, but we're going to do it. And we began praying and strategizing and thinking. Isn't this amazing? And here I am able to stand in front of you this morning and say over 700,000 of that has already been pledged and is coming in. God is good. God is good. And he's going to help us. And know this, when you step in and decide, I'm going to be a part of this, man. I'm going to be part of the planting team. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give. That I feel like this is one of the indications that God is saying, man, you're, you're already part of a winning team. I'm in this. I'm doing this. And it's going to be all for his glory. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, that, um, that you have gone before us. We thank you, Lord, that as, uh, as we've taken up the mantle of, of being just one church among literally thousands that has decided we're going to plant churches, that, Lord, you, 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 have, you have helped us every step of the way. Every time we thought we had you beat, Lord, you have come through and shown us that, that God, you're bigger than any goal we can create. And so, Lord, we have to believe that you're going before us to plant churches. We have to believe, God, that you're going to give us the impulse of generosity uh, to accomplish your will in this world. So I pray for my brothers and sisters right now, God, as they contemplate what it is you'd have them do. God, there are some that, Lord, they could go above and beyond. There are some that say, man, I can't do very much. 
but here's what I can give. And God, it's not, it's not the amount of the gift, it's the sacrifice. And I pray, Lord, that we would all sacrifice for the sake of your kingdom and lay up treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves don't break through and steal. And it would all be for our good and for your glory. God, let generosity be uh, something that Foothill Church is known for because we look and see through the gospel that you have been so, so generous to us, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.